He's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet. It's me, Matthew. I am here with Emily Lipstein and... Jason Kebler. And it's a special episode. It's going to be a long episode today. We are saying goodbye to the man who created Cyber, our editor-in-chief, the man who shaped Motherboard. Uh, it is Jason's... Can we say it's your last day? How much can we say, Jason? You can say it's my last day. That's accurate. It's, it's my last day. Jason, it's your last day. Um, so it's going to be a little bit of a different episode. We're going to spread it out, I think, over a couple of recording sessions if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, if you're watching us record it live, it's just one big uh, sad farewell. We're going to get into some deep motherboard lore. We're going to talk about some of Jason's favorite stories. We're going to we're going to get into it. But of course, first we're going to talk about some current events. And that's it. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> just Jason, a little podcast a, table a, setting. A ten, a ten part. A ten part series. Ten part series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's like, remember, like, those commercials for, like, the world books where it's like, you know, this, like, 27-volume set can be yours for 50 payments of $100 or whatever. It's the, the, the very... If anyone wants to do 50 payments of $100, please let me know. I think Vice won't be bankrupt if that happens. I think <laughs> I think all of our financial problems will be solved. That'll finally put us over the edge. It'll be great. So please, <laughs> we're asking for as little as a cup of coffee a day. <laughs> Should I start singing Sarah McLaughlin, or is that like uh... that's the outro? I want yeah, yeah. I want graduation by Vitamin C. That's uh, that's okay. what I want. We we can arrange that. Was that your what was your high was that the, the what they played at your high school graduation? Uh, was Vitamin C? Was that the the song that they played over the sad photographs of like the whole class? Or do you remember? I don't remember, but. It is the song that I most stereotypically uh, associate with that. So I'm going to say it probably was. Mostly because it's called Graduation. uh, Yeah, I feel like every graduation since that song came out, that song has played. So Vitamin C really did a lot to, I don't know, keep keep themselves relevant every June. I got just under the wire. I would say to this day... Like, I still hear that song a lot in these contexts. Uh, I got just under the wires. I was, we were Green Day, time of our lives. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, when my, my, the first, the first video that I ever made as like an, uh, 13 year old or something with my digital camera was, um, photos of my sister like as a baby because my sister is 11 years younger than me and i had just gotten a digital camera so i took pictures of her like as a baby um and then set it to good riddance by uh green day (laughs) and in like windows movie maker and created uh just a very emotional you know just a, a beautiful piece of art that i don't think i i might have put it on like photo bucket or something Fuck photo bucket. Can't remember the last time I thought about photo bucket. Um so you're going so hurricanes? Emily, yeah. you're you're gonna be gone next week. Yeah, so I'm gonna be gone the next two weeks. So y'all are gonna have to deal without me and enjoy Matthew's wonderful company. Um but yeah, I, I'm going out west. 
And I am very excited about that because I'm like, wow, I'm going to get to enjoy like the best weather. I'm going to be, you know, like central-ish California, go down to like the Bay Area a little bit, then go up north to the Pacific Northwest. And um, so while I'm arriving, another, another person... I guess we can, I don't know, someone else is going to be arriving and that person's Hillary. Um, not that Hillary, the hurricane Hillary. And so, um, it's, it's, I say it's funny, but in like an ironic way, like, because it's like, Oh, go to California, encounter a hurricane for the first time that I can remember in California. Um, Thankfully, I won't be in the place where it's likely to make landfall. And by the time that it, like the weather system gets up to where I'm going to be, it's just going to be like scattered, whatever. But it should be. I'm just like, damn, truly best laid plans. What's the um? so sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, it is very rare for a hurricane to come through California. However, there was a tropical storm last year and last year they're like, Oh, this is so rare. So, uh, you know, that's two years in a row. I'll say that first of all, second of all, I hope everyone stays safe. I hope no one gets flooded. I hope nothing bad happens, but as Samir's point out in the comments, swell of the year, baby. Swell of the year. Swell of the year. So what's the surf report? What's the surf weather guy saying? So uh, it it's like, it's very touch and go because it's unclear like where it's going to hit exactly, but waves are decent right now. Waves are supposed to be super good tomorrow and Sunday. Hurricane probably going to hit us sometime Monday, at which point the waves will be huge, but probably too windy to actually like do mm-hmm. anything. And at that point, dangerous. Yeah, um, like actual danger versus like dangerous, man. Nice. Yeah, like, like the first, the days like, preceding the hurricane are usually like really fun um Mm. and the hurricane often produces offshore winds which are somewhat rare at least in la and are good for surfing so uh all my friends are stoked (laughs) uh with the caveat that you know we hope no one gets hurt but that that's like that's i mean i know i've been on here for surfing before and like have talked with samir about surfing i've surfed with samir but um it's it's a thing in surf surf communities where it's like uh hope that hurricane doesn't hurt people but also super excited about this hurricane <laughs> you know um that's also and, like how the storm chaser people are they're like damn this sucks but also fuck yeah yeah i mean the the entirety of surf like forecasting is just tracking swells and tracking storms and hoping that storms will hit parts of hit like the, the opportune parts of the ocean to create good waves for you. So, you know, I've been, I've been updating the forecast every like two hours. Uh, at one point it said there was going to be 20 foot waves like by my house, but now it's down to like four or five. So we'll see. I mean, that changes That's constantly. That's a big discrepancy. Yeah. It's a big discrepancy. Yes. 20 foot yeah. waves are like cower, you know, run for my life vibes. Don't yeah. go anywhere near the ocean. <laughs> no, God. Have either of you ever? But like, yeah. So, so Emily, is it gonna is it gonna ruin your trip or what? I don't, no, I it won't. Be fine. So yeah. So like this, the the 
I had like a bit of an anxiety, like 30 minutes last night. Um, my roommate is from the LA area and she was like, Oh yeah, it's going to be a category four storm. And my thought is being someone from the Northeast who has ridden out hurricanes before has been like, like when I hear it's going to be a category four, I assume that what she means is it is going to be a category four when it hits land. That is not the situation. It is not at this, at this point, the models are not showing that it is going to be a category. It's going to be maybe a category two. If when it hits Baja, which is still bad, like just because it's a category two doesn't mean that it's not extremely dangerous, potentially life threatening to the people that are in the path of the storm. However, I'm going to allow myself to be a little bit self-centered as I am thinking about how this hurricane will impact me, the center of the universe. Um, but it's like I'm not going to be anywhere near where the hurricane is going to hit. And I might even get to avoid some of like the rain that's going to be brought in. And maybe the rain will be good. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, this, where this I'll be. Classic. I know the rain's going to be bad in Death Valley. This is classic, like, recording days before something happens, and then some of it's going to come out after it. And let's just cross our fingers. <laughs> yeah, Matt, how, how can you edit a podcast after the fact? I mean, I can. I suppose. This is a catastrophe. Please prevent us from being canceled. <laughs> Maybe it would be good to be canceled. Maybe maybe it would be nice to be canceled while I'm off the grid for two weeks. Yeah, if you're going to do it, that's a good time. I don't know. There's yeah, like exactly. Inside. Yeah, too much rain in a drought area is really bad. It's going to be really bad flash flooding in like Death Valley, Joshua Tree, like that area. Like this is not to make light of what might happen there. This is simply discussing the weather. Um, but yeah. I like, I'm like, wow, going to California to experience nice weather, nice West Coast weather and bringing a hurricane with me. Yeah, we had two months of very good weather and uh, that's it this year. It was like rain until April, rain through May, actually, then like June, July, very nice. And now fog and storms in August. So I don't know, whatever. That's huh. my life. <laughs> Yeah, Matt, what was the, when was the last time you had to ride at a hurricane? There was like something last year, right? Where the, I feel like there was something that was hitting the Carolinas last year. It's all well, I mean, it's funny because it's every it's every year. Essentially, we have like a big hurricane season here every year. Um, and Karen, my wife, uh, works for one of the companies that like monitors monitors it. So there's usually like a week every year where she's in a bunker somewhere as part of like an emergency <laughs> response team, like coordinating people. Uh, but the last, and it's usually predicted to be bad and then it's usually okay. The worst one, um, I think was maybe 2016, 2017, right after I'd moved here. Uh, mm -hmm. and it was right around the time I'd started working at motherboard. And the worst thing that happened was, um, like a transformer blew up in the backyard and it was, I happened to be outside, like watching the weather when it happened. Um, and like a, like a tree, uh, got hit by the wind so hard that it went into the transformer and exploded. Um, there's no fires or anything. It was just really cool and loud. Uh, yeah. and that's as bad as it been a couple years before that, before I'd gotten here, there was a really bad storm that hit. Um, and, and the floods were so bad afterward that it destroyed large parts of the city. Shit. Uh, flooded out a bunch of stuff, but you know, that's, that was a once in a century storm. Uh, we'll probably have another one in a few years. <laughs> <laughs>
was one of those kinds of situations. Yeah. Uh, Do we want to move on to other things on the internet this week? I think we should. Um, Yeah. What do you want to, what do you you want to hit first? So I want to, I feel a little embarrassed. Uh, I want to talk about planet of the base which until yesterday when I actually sat down and watched the video, I assumed was just a real song and did not know that it was a parody. It is a real song. It is now a real song. It was performed live at a Jonas Brothers concert. It was performed live at Mood Ring also. What's Mood Ring? Yes, exactly. My friends friends ran that event. Um, Mood Ring is a hype bar in Bushwick. Very cool. Very cool. I've been several times. Was the least <laughs> cool person there, <laughs> Emily? I think you've been you've been tracking it's a good this. Bar. It's a good bar. Obviously, a little bit closer than I have. What 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 is this thing, and why is the nineties punishing us all? Um, I don't see this as punishment. I see this as celebration. Um, basically, Planet of the Bass is just like a parody song that's real. Um, it started out as like a clip that was posted to like TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. It really took off on on Twitter. Um that's like a Eurodance parody where it's like, you know, all of the biggest music producers of like the late 90s, early 2000s and even into the 2010s, you know, that produced like, you know, the the Max Martins, etc. um made all of these songs that really didn't make any sense lyrically. Um you know, if you ever actually sat down and think about like the Backstreet Boys, I want it that way. Does it doesn't make sense? The lyrics are just words. They're just <laughs> words that like like one could think of it as like you know some like postmodern poetry, whatever, etc. But yeah, no, Planet of the Bass basically takes the like Aqua. Um, it's very Barbie Girl. Barbie world yeah barbie world eiffel 65 eiffel 65 is like was my euro trash uh dance euro dance eurovision dance band i don't know but um i feel like i feel like backstreet boys are like pulitzer prize winning lyricists compared to you know aqua and eiffel 65 etc not not that we need to get into that but it's like it's a very specific type of like european electronic dance music which, but not like EDM, like yes. yeah, it's Europop. Pre EDM, it's different. Uh, there's usually like a like a female lyricist, like a female singer that's coming in, uh, and like a gruff voiced man. It's do you um, do either of you remember the Rednecks? Or are you both too young? Uh, there was a there is no a idea. there is a Europop band like in this kind of style called the Rednecks. Uh, and they dressed like Appalachian hillbillies and they had a big hit in like, I think the mid to early nineties called cotton eye Joe. That was just like an Americana, an old Americana standard that they put like a dance beat behind and it's terrible. That was a Europop band? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's funny because they were like created by some Swedish people. I mean, it's one of these things where there's not actually any members. They just hire different people to come in and be, the mem- like to put on like bad teeth and wear a floppy hat and be a member of the rednecks. Um, I think they're, 
the last I heard from them, they were still around and like something they were trying to sell the band on the internet. You could spend like $2 million and buy the brand, the rednecks. Um, that like, I saw, I'm pretty speechless over here. First of all, <laughs> that you said, do you know, the rednecks as the band? Cause it's like, everyone knows Cotton Eye Joe. Like no yeah. way would I have ever known. <laughs> yeah, you leading with, that. do you know who like, wrote Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> I wouldn't say they wrote it. <laughs> okay, do you know who, who made it popular among, among the current generation? I guess that is shock jams. ESPN did that. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's uh, bad that I knew the story of the band behind Cotton Eye Joe. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that that's an incredible, like, trivial pursuit moment. Um. Yeah. So I see this Planet I, of the Base I, thing. I like, thought that Cotton Eye Joe just like emerged fully formed from like yeah. an algorithm, like a, a like a nineteen nineties algorithm that. <laughs> That is proprietary. It was like a supercomputer, yeah. like proto version of what we're seeing today. And like, I did not yeah. know that there's humans behind it in any way, shape, or form. In the same way that the hamster dance also was like, it, how, how, how did this happen? Job. It just did. It <laughs> yeah. simply did. It just simply fully formed as a thing that played behind animated GIFs on websites under construction. Exactly. Now I've got that stuck in my head, and I'm going to have it stuck Wait, in my head. Wait, so all day. Emily, do you like Planet of the Base? I what's love your, Planet, what's your of, the Planet of the Base. Take okay. I think it's really good, and I also can't stop singing it um, in the house, and that is, you know, causing strife in my household. But um, it's great. There was like the original, like it's not only like did the song itself become a meme, but the video and the promotion of it became a meme. Where it's like they kept they kept swapping out like the the female singer um, and pretending that Miss Biljana Electricana was the same person but was actually different people and then this was made canon in the actual final music video which is extremely good extremely nineties like you know I I don't think we can watch it on here for you know copyright claim purposes but it truly is excellent. So I have a question for you, which is I, I like uh, woke up at three in the morning the other day with that song stuck in my head and I couldn't fall back to sleep for like an hour at least. Um, I'm a big fan. The original TikTok that went ultra viral on Twitter is really good. I like this guy, Kyle Gordon. Like I've, I've, fi- I've followed him on TikTok for a while. He's very funny. His characters are very funny, like for the most part. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he's bad. I don't know who can say. But the things that I've seen are, are funny. Um, and this went like m- mega, mega, mega viral, like super viral, like took over the internet viral. And then he did this thing that everyone does where he's like full release coming in like two weeks or like 10 days or whatever, like the full version of the song. And th- this gave him time to sort of like build up the lore. He like went to Croatia at one point and like filmed this teaser video where, as you said, he replaced Bill John Electronica. Uh, then the full music video dropped, etc. My My personal feedback, and I want to hear what you guys think, is like, if you go that viral of a snippet, I'm I'm dropping the full thing the next day. Like I just feel like 
I feel like the moment was perhaps missed because we're talking about it now. Last I checked on YouTube, it had like 3 million views or something. Maybe it has way more. Um, And maybe he knows more about the internet and, and promoting things than I do. But for me, I was like, Oh, he should have dropped this like immediately. Like I'm checking now the video has 1.3 million views on YouTube. And it's like, had he dropped the full music video, like the next day, it's like song of the summer in every club cannot escape it. Like that's my personal feeling, but I don't know. What do you guys think? So he was actually, he initially said that the full song was coming out on the 22nd. It's the 18th today. So he ended up pushing it earlier to, I think it was the 15th when the full thing dropped. Um, so I think he realized that to an extent, but like, if we're going to, you know, break the fourth wall a little bit, I think that there needed to be time to actually film that music video because there was no way in hell that the song was complete outside of just that, that clip. Um, and that music video was not even a thought, um, when that snippet went out. Cause like what they filmed in the Oculus in, Mm -hmm. you know, lower Manhattan, um, yeah, and Jules is in the chat saying that they opened for the Jonas Brothers in Boston and nobody knew who they were, which is so funny to me. And I love that. Um, because I think another part of, you know, the zeitgeist with this is that it was a TikTok, but it went viral on Twitter. It did go brutal. viral. On That's TikTok. really brutal, by the way. It's brutal to me. It's brutal to like, it's it's it means that only old people think it's funny. Only millennials <laughs> exactly. think it's funny. Well, That's the, exactly it. Yeah, or because get it or the, have any interest. It's like not viral at all on TikTok. I saw it on TikTok and it has like a million views or something, but it has like 40 million views on Twitter or something. Like it's mega viral on Twitter. Well, I think to like get the joke, you have to remember stuff like Cotton Eye Joe and Barbie Girl and like that weird 90s, 2000 era like music and the, I, the TikTok skews younger and like, this is not what Europop sounds like anymore. Right. I mean, there's still some of this stuff, yeah. but this is very much like a nineties parody. It's hitting a very specific kind of millennial nostalgia. Um, I also agree with Emily that I don't think they had like, they didn't know that this was going to go, you know, mega viral. They just, they, they, they struck while the iron was hot and probably got this thing out as quickly as they could. I would imagine. Can I read some YouTube comments? Please. So the YouTube comments on this video are just like beautiful because everyone is fully leaning in. Um, user Waddles Plays says, August 15th, 1994. I will never forget how crowded the mall was that day that this released. The smell of popcorn, the screaming, so much promise, hope, so much bass. You just had to be there. Another... Uh, User Shiv421Cobra says, I was 15 when DJ Crazy Times represented Estonia at Eurovision with this banger. Still absolutely devastated that this didn't win. Um, Whereas I think my favorite comment has disappeared, but it was someone who was basically able to emulate the perfect like boomer, like Eastern European boomer mom, like commenting on a YouTube video cadence and like use of language. Bless you. And it's just like, yeah, I used to listen to this song every single day back in 1997 on our Lithuanian communist farm. I'm still mad that this didn't win Eurovision 1997. I remember when my friends and family from Yugoslavia came to visit and they played this song from a cassette recorder. (laughs) 
like just like extremely like building lore these comments like making lore and being like trying to retcon this as being like a real song and i love that it's it's just it's so funny to me i really enjoy it the lore is really good um i read a rolling stone interview with him uh with kyle gordon dj crazy times uh and he said that he's releasing an entire album of parody songs but each is parodying a different genre. And this is the first one. And it's like the interview is good. Kyle is like a very self-aware person. He's been doing this character for a long time. He has a lot of characters. He's a, a professional comedian has been doing this for a long time. I'm very curious as to whether the CD that he speaks of the album was actually going to be a thing before this one mega viral there's like no way right no way in hell no way in hell yeah no absolutely not yeah i've been working on this for like a long time like it's part of a this like much larger concept that i have that i've been working on i'm like yeah okay okay no you're leaning into the thing that works for sure it got you in front of the it got you to open for the jonas brothers you're you're banking everything on that look the writer's strike has impacted us all um, and it's important to diversify during these difficult times as we're fighting the studios. All right, Saber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, cyber listeners, we are back on with Jason Kebler saying goodbye to Motherboard's editor-in-chief. I think that's a decent transition, like fighting the studios, fighting the fighting those Richmond, north of Richmond. Uh, oh, we're going to talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just music themed. Another, because another piece of music went viral. This one more earnest, uh, if perhaps still extremely online. And I, I wanted to talk about this. I don't know how much of either of y'all are following this because it's country music kind of centric. Uh, are, are either of you I'm following? following? I'm a country fan. Okay. Oliver yeah. Anthony, how do you, how do you feel about the, the Richmond, North of Richmond, Jason? So I listened to it once. It is catchy. He's very angry. I saw that Gucci Mane wants to sign him to his label. Uh, at least perhaps he, that's what he posted on Instagram. I know that there is a, a lot of people are like, this is an industry plant slash. This is like an astroturfing campaign, which is maybe what you want to talk about. Kind uh, of. There's a YouTube playlist where, he has like uh, conspiracy videos, etc. My feedback is that the song is like okay. The message of the song is very like Jan Six uh, coded lyrics, language, etc. But I will say it's like pee catchy in terms of um, there are like a lot of so- like Trump songs yeah uh like trump artists and stuff and i would say that in terms of just like the musicality of this one it's not like great 
but it is better than the average. It's like the um, it's like the Operation Underground Railroad movie of country music. That's a good. That's a really good comparison. Um, I I don't think he's an industry plant. Uh, I think he's probably a. I think this is a real guy that was making a real song and got filmed um, and it blew up uh, to give people background in case they don't know. Oliver Anthony is a guy. Um, he's just a guy that lives in the South. Apparently, unless we find out later that he's an industry plant, which does happen in the, in these times. He is a rich man North of North. Of yeah. Rich man. I, I just, I just don't get that vibe though. Uh, but he, he has a song called the, the Richmond North of Richmond, which is like a, uh, an old school country sounding song um, about how your dollar doesn't go as far as it used to. And there's an Epstein joke in there um, and it's catchy and it blew up online after like some people of the conservative uh, like influencer space kind of latched onto it and retweeted it and said like this, you know, this is the real America and like, we're all feeling this. Et cetera, et cetera. And like all of that stuff felt like very forced. And I get and it, it, it irritated me, especially because I'm, I am a huge fan of country music. I listen to a lot of country music. I listen to a lot of contemporary country music. Um, and there's a lot of really great country music that's been made in the last five years. Uh, that sounds like this, but just better. Uh, and this ain't it. This is bad. I like, the Operation Underground Railroad comparison is good uh, because, like, it's it's okay, uh, but it's not. This isn't Tyler Childers. This isn't Sturgill Simpson. No, this, this is not. This is not the same. This is not on the same level. Um, he put out a Facebook post recently that's pretty long, where he kind of talks about who he is. Uh, and says like um, he's that he's not super interested in like a record deal. Uh, there's nothing special about me. I'm not a good musician. I'm not a very good person. Spent the last five years struggling with mental health and using alcohol to drown it. Um, and like maybe this is maybe this is where you end up finding out that this guy is a character. But there's just something about it that does strike me as sincere, um, and that he just went viral because. It seems like he's gotten a lot of like viral. He's gotten a lot of like conservative online memes that he placed into the song, and that's what caught on with people. You know, so yeah. So I definitely think he's real. I think the song is real, but I don't think that the excitement around it is fully organic. If yes. that makes sense, which yes. is like hard to say. Yeah. It's hard to like. It's hard to parse, but it's like immediately it was like grabbed by like the right wing megaphone and turned into like a culture war thing. And so it's very hard to say like uh, who is listening to this. Cause I think it's a good song and who is listening to it because the liberal media told you not to, because it's racist or whatever, which I'm not saying that it is. I have not, I don't know what the lyrics are TBH, but it's like that sort of like, they don't want you to listen to it. So you have to support it. It is like, there's definitely some of that happening. Like that's what irritated me because it's like these, these people had never heard. They, they had not heard a country song in 10 fucking years because there is, there is all this great stuff about what it's like to live in those parts of the country. And 
the the troubles and travails of that of that that are really good and really well done and sound beautiful, uh, but aren't you know talking about Epstein Island? Listening to Morgan Wallen. <laughs> uh, I have. I don't. You know, I've tried with him. Uh, setting aside like recent controversies, I just can't do it. I can't get into him. I've tried a couple times. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think the other thing I just did, I think it's interesting that um, the other big country hit of the year is a cover of Fast Car that sounds pretty similar to the original to the original version of Fast Car. Uh, God. I, the, the like discourse about that fast car cover is is truly something and it's i don't i don't i don't have enough feelings about it to like be on on any particular side of it but i'm just like uh because <laughs> i like I think, luke combs and it's an okay cover yeah but it's it's okay cover. way worse the than better. the original and it's yeah, the original yeah. Is significantly yeah. better it really is it really is he like yeah. It's funny because he changes so little, you know, that it's just, you, you listen to it and you're just like, well, I guess I should just listen to the, the original because it's better. <laughs> this is fine. And yeah, Luke Combs is good. Uh, but this was obvious. I think this was supposed to, the fast car was supposed to be like a toss away on the album. I don't think they were even thinking about making it a single. Uh, and then it kind of blew up. Anyway, we can, we'll get sucked into. <laughs> like a long discussion about that. Cause I also, I, I don't want to get, yeah, I don't want to get into the discourse around fast car specifically. I should never have brought it up. Uh, <laughs> I've got one more topical thing. I wanted to ask you about Jason before we dive into memory lane, if that's all right. Yeah. I'm, you know, whatever you want, man, whatever you Captive want. Audience. <laughs> Uh, so I know you follow like economy and money news much more closely than I do. Right. Uh, or did you're looking panicked right now. I don't, I mean, I just, you could say anything right now and I don't know. I don't know what the next word you're usually, I know where you're going with something, but no, please. Uh, economic, economic, economic indicators seem to be good. Uh, why does the economy feel so bad? That's and that's my that's my only question is like everything uh, like everyone's still complaining about the price of eggs. Uh, inflation is still up yet. Uh, people who know things about the economy keep telling us that it's good and that the job, you know, jobs are pl- or uh, uh, everyone's got a job, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have any uh, have you have any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, I can take a stab at it, which is just to say, uh, so as people who are watching and listening to this already know, this is my last day advice. Uh, the last two weeks I've had a lot of like getting people caught up to speed for what comes next and not a whole lot of reading economic news. So this may be slightly outdated, but I can give you a vibes based answer, which I feel perfectly comfortable guessing at. That's exactly what I want. Actually, it was a vibes based answer. One, I think, I think that the job market is not that great and it's like good in specific industries and very bad in other industries. It's very bad in media, for example, which is very selfish of us to talk about, but it's like, there's tons of layoffs in both tech and in media. There is a few really big strikes, 
um, you know, with the writer strike and the Screen Actors Guild strike, which, you know, if that's the economy of Los Angeles, which is the second largest city in the United States and the most populous county in the United States. And it's like, a, it's an actual bad thing here. There's also like, I cannot really, I have no data to back this up. I've not looked at the inflation numbers recently, but it's like a lot of inflation stuff is a lot of prices have come back to normal, but some have simply not, um, which is fine, I guess. Well, I don't know if it's fine or not, but it's like a bag of coffee in LA right now is like $18. It's okay, like, I've been noticing that too here. It's like deli meat, like Turk, a pound of Turkey is like $14 at Ralph's. It's and it's so like, you can make expensive. like three sandwiches. There's like some things that are like wildly expensive right now that I think, I don't know if that, you know, makes the economy feel bad or whatever, but like I went to the grocery store the other day and I'm like, I'm not buying this turkey. Like, there's no way I can't. I don't want to pay $15 for three sandwiches. And then at the same time, there's also a lot of like restaurants, at least here and also in New York, that are doing this really fucked up thing that makes really everyone really mad where they are adding a service charge like an 18 or 20% service charge to uh, receipts or bills or whatever that does not go to the workers. That is just like, this is an administrative fee. Like this is just, we're just like adding price. We're just making your food cost more and you still have to tip on top of it, which it's like, you know, I tip well, everyone should tip well, but there's like a lot of restaurants that you'll go into and then you'll get the bill and it'll be like 20% extra for like the owners, it's like just listed as like, just like I want twenty percent more. And I, it's like miscellaneous, like service fee. Oh yeah, my God. and sometimes they're like this goes to employee health insurance, and sometimes they're like straight up like this is just for our costs. It's like this yeah. is to like cover our costs, and it's like that's crazy. Housing is still pretty crazy. Like rents are really bad. Like housing market to buy has come down in a few places, but the interest rates are still very high. Um, and so I would say like vibes based, it's like, I don't know what economic indicators are saying that, that things are good, but I certainly feel it's like you want to buy a house, super expensive, like because you to, to get a mortgage, super expensive. You want to buy food, super expensive. Like there's a lot of stuff that and like you want to get a job in tech, like good luck. You want to get a drop job in media or like film related industry, like good luck. Like I don't really know what parts of the job market are doing well right now, but it's like certainly not any that I'm qualified for. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know. Um, I don't know. That's my, that's my guess, but like, I don't know. And the stock market is down the last week I saw it's like down quite a lot. So I know that there's some China related reasons like China recovery type stuff is not going well. Um, yeah. Also yellow shut down or like went bankrupt the trucking company. That's another thing. Yeah. And like the auto United auto workers might go on strike this fall. There's just like, yeah, the vibes are not good. I think that the vibe approach, like the vibes based approach to the economy makes a lot of sense right now because it feels like all of the data is like things seem both good and bad just depends on who you ask. 
Yeah. I personally just want someone to like tell me exactly why deli meat is like three times as expensive as it was circa two years ago. Yeah. Does anybody have in the chat have a direct line to like Mr. Boar's head? Because I would like to know. Yeah, John Boar. Well, I know that there's there there are labor disputes ongoing in some poultry plants like down here. Like there's stuff that's like up the literally up the road from me where workers are striking that worked in uh, poultry plants through the pandemic. And it's the same thing we're hearing everywhere, you know, um, getting screwed, uh, weird and wild hours, unsafe working conditions, uh, not enough money. Same thing that everyone's talking about. So, I mean, I'm sure that's probably there's also I'll just like very quickly. uh a lot of companies are trying to force return to the office right now and have been for a while and it's like not going super well. So Mm -hmm. I think like worker happiness is probably down quite a lot. Um, There's like a lot of, and then also there's all of these office spaces that companies are paying for and, or just like empty Um, that like, that's not a great vibe like that. Someone needs to like fix that. Um, Please, please, someone go fix it, like shut down all the offices and turn them into housing. I know that there's a variety of reasons why that's tricky, but that's a thing. Um, And then also someone in the comments brought this up. Beatmaster brought this up. Record high profits are being reported, yet prices need to stay high. Like we've done quite a lot of reporting on that where it's like a lot of inflation is caused simply because companies raised the prices of things and then kept them there and blamed inflation, therefore causing inflation but raking in like big profits. So that's definitely a big part of it too. It's just like pay us more because we want more money. I just felt like I had to talk to you about the economy one more time. Uh, you know, <laughs> I haven't read an article about the economy in at least three weeks. So I apologize if that was like completely wrong, but that's, that's my vibes based answer. That's all we wanted. We just wanted vibes based answers. That's true. Um, yeah. Similarly, I don't think I normally like listen to marketplace like every day in the evenings. I don't think I've listened to marketplace in like a couple weeks. I mean, not for any specific reason, just, just life. It's because it's August. No one should do it. No one should do anything in August. It's too hot to do anything. Everyone should just be sleeping generally sleeping through the day. Um, I know that's impossible for most yeah. of us, but all right. Do we want to get into some some motherboard lore? Do we want to dive into this? Yeah. Okay. Let's yeah. do it. Memory lane time. Memory lane time. Uh, Jason, this is your life, or at least the last ten years of it, anyway. Um, when did you? How did you start at motherboard exactly? Yeah. So. For anyone who doesn't know who I am, I'm Jason Kebler. I'm the editor-in-chief of Motherboard for one more day. Well, till 5 p.m. today. I've been at Motherboard specifically for over 10 years. Uh, In May 2013, I was a reporter in Washington, D.C. for U.S. News and World Report. Uh, I was an intern there for a little while, and then I became a science reporter there. And the reason I became a science reporter was because I went to a science and tech high school uh, and therefore had taken like a genetics class. And uh, I didn't really take any science classes in college, 
but I, I knew enough about science so that I could curate their science page, which required grabbing articles from this service called Live Science and posting them in the CMS. Uh, I didn't like write them or read them. I just selected which ones they were. At some point, I was like, why don't I write articles for this section that has no employees um, at this publication that like has only six writers or something? And so I started writing articles about science and I wrote a lot of articles about like, I don't know, solar flares, climate change, sea level rise. I did a big article about coffee and climate change um, and how it was like impacting crop yields in Colombia, et cetera. Uh, And then my editor at the time was obsessed with drones, uh, was obsessed with like the idea that drones would be flying in the United States and would be used to spy on American citizens and I found this uh, I found this case in North Dakota where a predator drone had been flown over this dude's compound. Uh, he was like a sovereign citizen type guy named Rodney Brosart, Brosart. And a predator drone was used to fly over his ranch. And then DHS or like some federal group or perhaps just the state police, I don't remember, this happened in like 2011, raided and took him in. And then he was released on bail and I called him and he answered and he told me everything about what happened. And that went like pretty viral at the time uh, for obvious reasons. And from then on, my editor was like, okay, you know how to like report and write articles. So then from then on, on, I just like wrote a lot of articles about drones. I wrote a bunch of articles about the internet and Reddit and so on and so forth, because I was an internet nerd. At the same time, I had a friend named Kurt, poor Padich, still one of my best friends, who is not a journalist at all, but was interning for a website called Motherboard. Um, he's, he was studying nuclear physics at Carnegie Mellon, and he showed up at Vice's office in like 2011. And was like, hey, can I work for your website? And they were like, yeah, sure thing, which is not how it works anymore. Uh, But that's how it worked then. No, it definitely does not work like that anymore. Yeah. And so Kurt was one of my best friends and he was like, why don't you write for Motherboard? And I was like, what is that? I don't know what that is. Why don't you write for Vice? And I was like, I do know what Vice is, but like, I don't know. New York seems too cool for me. I lived in DC, whatever. But at some point... I know this is a long story, but you said I could have the floor, so I'll continue. Yeah, please. No, this is this is all important. (laughs) Um, Important backstory. Yeah. So I was like on some jobs email listserv, which was like, here are open jobs, blah, blah, blah. And it also had emails about people who got new jobs or left places. And I got an email that mentioned that Adam Clark Estes, who worked for Gizmodo for a long time and now works somewhere very cool. I believe he works at Fox, but I might be wrong. In any case, very good journalist Um, had left motherboard for Gizmodo. And I was like, Oh, someone left motherboard. Kurt mentioned that motherboard was cool. I'm going to email the editor. So I emailed the editor who was Derek Mead, who was the editor for a very long time is now one of my best friends as well. Um, I was like, Hey Derek, I write for us news and world report. Uh, can I write articles for motherboard? And here's an idea. And he was like, yes, sure thing. 
And I wrote an article for him while I still worked for U.S. News and World Report, which was not good, but that's what I did. Uh, and I sent it to him and then he published it on the website and he paid me like $30 or something. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to do another one. Can I do another one? And I sent it to him and he's like, okay, here's CMS access. Can you please load it and publish it? Which for anyone listening, CMS is like how we publish articles, like the back end of the site. Y'all wouldn't and give me C- one article. It took like three <laughs> years before you all, y'all gave me CMS access. This is, I am upset. This is a different time. <laughs> I had written one article and they were like, here's a login and password to do anything on Vice's website. It's which like is- a latchkey <laughs> kid, like internet age. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was like, wow, I like this. They're letting me write like whatever I want. Um, so I, I did a bunch of articles for like 30, 40 bucks. And I was like, I can live off of $40 an article. I quit. So I quit my job. Uh, I went to South America because full transparency, uh, I was dating someone at the office and we broke up and I was like, this isn't cool. I have to quit my job. I was like 22 years old. I was just like, I don't want to see this person. It's like upsetting to me. I'm going to South America to solve my problems. So I went to South America for three months and I freelanced a bunch of stories from there. I would like bring a USB drive with me to hostels and stuff. Um, I didn't have a laptop as in, or maybe I did. I don't remember, but I, I would have to like go to an internet cafe, research an article, write it, what I used to do is I used to write it on my laptop with no internet and then I would put it on a USB drive and then I would take it to an internet cafe and file it from the USB drive more or less um, once I had internet. And I wrote a bunch of stories about like the Amazon and Ecuador. I was in Ecuador, Peru and Bolivia um, and Colombia. And I wrote a bunch of stuff. I wrote one article that was um, I went on a make your own cocaine tour in Colombia uh, which I did. And I think I was paid like $60 for that article. That was like 3000 words long or something. And was one of the most popular stories that vice ever did. I still get emails from people asking me like, how do I go on this tour? Like over 10 years later, in any case, I'm not mad about it. I'm just saying it was a different era. Um, and then I moved to New York and then I got a real job at motherboard and, I think at the time, Motherboard was like five people. Uh, we had a lot of fun. And now it's 10 years later and I quit. <laughs> uh, True. We're pulling up the cocaine article. Um, yeah. I don't know if, if, if Twitch is going to be upset that I have, that I put that link in the chat, but. Um, who knows? Yeah. Uh, so did you. Okay. So how does one what does it cost to go on and make your own cocaine tour? Like what did you sample the cocaine at the end of the tour? Like what's the, what's the story here? So this is from memory. Uh, The details are going to be in the article. Probably. I'm I'm going to fact check you. Let's yeah. Let's pull it up on the screen if we can. So I was, I was in Colombia, which is a wonderful country. I was backpacking, going hostel to hostel. Um, and everyone was talking about two things. They were talking about going on ayahuasca tours in Peru and going on make your own cocaine tour in the South part of Colombia. And I was like, that sounds like a vice thing. Um, <laughs> and so 
I won't, I mean, it, it doesn't matter anymore, but it's like, I went to the hostel that they told, I, I figured out what city the hostel was in. They didn't tell me the name of it. Cause I don't think it had a name. And it's like, you got off of this taxi and you're like, take me to the special tour. And the special tour was at this place. And the guy did like tours of ruins and also took you to like a farm where you made cocaine. Um, the, the, Coca leaves, which like coca leaves are used very widely in South America uh, for like coca tea and to chew them. And there's like a lot of cultural um, and religious indigenous uses of coca leaves. So it's not like illegal to grow coca, but it is illegal to make cocaine. Um, And we went to this like, mm, I guess it was a shack. It was like a stone structure in the middle of a farm that had a stove. And literally we like picked a bunch of coca leaves off of this tree. And then we had like a kitchen counter and we chopped it up uh, and you put a bunch of like pretty scary chemicals into it, um, which include like urea, uh, hydrochloric acid, like battery acid. Like these are things that extract the necessary chemicals from it. And then you literally just cook it down like in a pot and, and stir it until it becomes a powder, like straight up. That's what happens. And it was like a brown powder. And then you put the brown powder in front of an incandescent light bulb. And then it turns like bone white. Uh, and I believe it was like 60 or $80 to do this tour. And it was three grams of cocaine. If I recall, and the answer to like, did I sample it, et cetera, is like, I did a very, very small amount at the time because I was just like, okay, got to do it. I made it myself. Not a fan of this. Not like, not a fan of drugs really. Like they don't, I don't like them. They don't do well with my body. Do whatever you want, but I don't like them. Um, and then I flushed the rest down the toilet because I was getting on a uh, bus to Ecuador like that same day. Weirdly, I did this at like 8 a.m. or like 7 a.m. because that was the time of the tour. The tour was at like 7 in the morning. So it was like pretty... Uh, so do you yeah. like... Are you like a party time? Are you pouring in the chemicals? Are you like doing the... Like all the hard labor and the guy's just directing you? Is that how it works? Yeah. I mean, we're making such a small amount that... Mm-hmm. Uh, that it wasn't hard. It was like, it was literally like a cooking class. It was like chop, chop, chop with a knife, you know, like, uh, I think he did a couple, there was one thing that he did where he like stirred the hydrochloric acid with his hand, uh, which was not, I don't know why he did that. I don't remember, but his hand was like kind of eroding away from years of doing this. He also told me that he like worked for Pablo Escobar for a long time, which is like, I have no idea if that's real or not. It's like, I have no way of verifying that it was like an old man. And, uh, he may have just said that to like make the tourists feel cool. Um, (laughs) but it didn't feel like dangerous or anything. You know, it was just like many, many, many tourists did it at the time. I have no idea if it still exists, like no clue. Um, but I do still get emails about it. Is that your, what's your favorite thing that you worked on? That's definitely not my favorite thing that I worked on, <laughs> like even <laughs> remotely, but that is like, like I was, that was way before I even worked here. That was like a freelance piece. Um, you know, I've written thousands of articles here. 
Um, yeah, we were trying I, to find some and we were like, damn, there are like 500 something pages on like going back of your like articles that you've contributed to the site. Yeah. And I've like edited many more and I've worked with really amazing people here, both of you included, which I'll say more about that at the end. I'm not, I'm not trying to be sentimental at this moment, but it's like, there are many eras to what I've done here. Um, yeah, this is Jason's eras tour actually. Yeah. It's like, there's the the era where I wrote four articles a day about whatever. And there's the era where I wrote like mostly just investigations. And then I had, I had my drone era where I did a lot of drone reporting. I had my era where I did tons of rights repair reporting, which is, that's probably what I'm most proud of as a, as a reporter myself, uh, which is just like writing about, uh, consumer rights and, you know, uh, how Apple makes it very difficult to repair iPhones. And I think I did a FOIA story about what happens to the iPhones that get recycled. Uh, they basically get shredded and turned into nothing. Like that was a pretty big story that I really liked working on. Um, I did a very big feature about Facebook's content moderation policies back when people cared about such things. Um, and specifically, Joseph Cox on our team got a bunch of leaked documents from Facebook that showed um, Facebook was like allowing white nationalism and white separatism, but was not allowing what it called white supremacy. And it's like mm-hmm. those things are fun are not <laughs> you, you can't. Uh, <laughs> you can't distinguish between those things, but Facebook yeah, you're was really trying to. There. Yeah. yeah. So Facebook was trying to, and we did this really big, like 7,000 word story. Like I went to Facebook headquarters for like three days and talked to their policy people. And we had all these leaked documents and we did, you know, we worked really, really hard on it and it got Facebook to ban all of that stuff. I mean, that doesn't mean that there's not uh, bad things on Facebook still, but at least the policy changed to it's not explicitly allowed which I'm pretty proud of. Um, that said, like that article was really hard to do. It I worked very hard on it, um, like nights, weekends, etc. And we published it. And I like had a sort of like a panic attack, anxiety relapse situation, which is fine. And like I'm open about talking about it. But um, I bring this up just because it's a, a semi interesting story. <laughs> um, what yeah, did just you have, in the chat if anybody wants to read it. What happened that you had? Why did you have an anxiety attack after you published? I was, it wasn't about the story at all. It's about the fact that I had worked so hard on it. There was like a deadline for some reason. I think we thought other people were working on the story or something. So we worked like really hard on it for like a week. Mm-hmm. And it was like a 7,000 word story deeply reported that took like one week, uh, which is very fast. Yeah. Um, and like I probably wasn't exercising, wasn't eating super well, wasn't sleeping super well. And so I published it and then I was, I had this like, you know, I had some like anxiety problems where I felt very uncomfortable, like coming to the office or working at all or whatever, not blaming this on anyone. It just like, it happened. But then CNBC was like, Hey, do you want to come to the New York stock exchange and talk about your scoop on live television today? while I was like in the midst of a panic attack. Uh, and I did, cause I was like, this is a good opportunity. 
So I like went to this live TV hit, which I don't, at the time I really did not like public speaking. I wasn't very comfortable doing it. And CNBC is not the biggest channel, but it's a big channel. Yeah. And it was on the floor of the New York stock exchange. So it was just like crazy, like lights and scrolling marquees and like all sorts of crazy shit happening. And I was like, dude, I'm going to like puke on air. Like, I think I'm going to puke on air and like grace of God or something. I don't know, but the video, the videographer, the guy who was filming me was my old roommate just who I hadn't seen in several years just like happened to work for CNBC. I had no idea he was there and he was like, Hey man, like it's going to be okay. Have a good, have a good time. And I, it went fine. It went great. And I was just like, okay, someone was looking out for me there. Um, but anyways, yeah, I don't know. I could tell like a, a million stories like that. Not, uh, not about my anxiety because it's very under control. That was like, one of the only times that it like got in the way of work. Um, but just like got, got the opportunity to do a lot of crazy shit advice that I'm very thankful for that. I'm very proud of, um, almost none of it that I could have done myself. But like, while I'm talking about myself, it's like, I've got to go to Australia for a day. I flew from New York city to LA to go to, I fix it which I'm wearing a shirt of them right now to do a documentary about them. And every time that the, a new iPhone is released, they, I don't know if they still do it, but they fly to Australia because of how time zones work. They like buy, it comes out first in Australia. They buy the phone the moment it goes on sale and then they tear it down. And so we made a video about this teardown process and I was, it was a really busy time at Vice. So it was normally I'd be like, Oh, let's go to Australia. I'll take some days off before and after, but I like couldn't. So I literally flew to Australia for a day uh, to do this documentary and then came back. And I've like never been to Australia before that or since. Um, That was cool. I went to Cuba for three weeks, you know, lots, lots of good stuff here. We're trying to track down your, your CNBC uh, uh, thing. And we've just discovered that you've been on multiple times in, at the New York stock exchange. Oh, wow. Who knew? Yeah. You had another, you had another appearance in like 2016, 2017 talking about like Trump comments on Facebook. That's what it looks like. Yeah, Similar kind of that thing. One was, I, th- I think that's when I wrote about um, the Donald on Reddit. I did like a, internet archive uh, fueled research report on the history of the Donald. Was that after um, Reddit had kicked them I out? I also did a big story about it was before they had kicked them out. And okay. it was just like, this is a, this is where Donald Trump gets his memes from. And I like went into discord where they kind of like were making them and stuff. Um, I also did a big story about, crisis actor conspiracy theories uh, that I got to go on TV for, which was cool. Um, just like where the crisis actor conspiracy theory from mass shootings comes from. Um, but it's like, I've been here for 10 years, you know, it's like, I've done a lot of stuff. So I feel very, um, how did you, how did you ascend hard to pick? How did you ascend to power? Jason, how did you become editor in chief? Yeah. For- um, 
So I will be uh, nice to myself and say that I was one of our best performing writers. Uh, well, I was our best performing writer for a long time in terms of just like, I wrote the most, I covered everything. I got the most traffic, which motherboard has not ever been like traffic. Like it's, we, we pay attention to it, but it's never been like our guiding force. We've always cared a lot about impact and like, are people happy and are we doing good work, et cetera. But like, I was very good at figuring out stuff that people would read. Um, I worked here for a very long time, became a senior staff writer. Derek Mead, the guy who I mentioned earlier, had gotten promoted from being editor in chief of motherboard to being, uh, like a global editor in chief across vice, like across the whole newsroom real quick. Let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you real fast. Sorry. Um, question from, uh, beatmaster 80 in the chat is a good one. What exactly is an editor in chief? Um, that is a good question. No, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's different at at different publications, but I can talk about what my job has been. My job, the job as editor in chief is to span the newsroom, which is like Matt and Emily and Joseph and Sam and all of the people that you've seen on this Twitch feed, the, the journalists who are writing the articles and to like advocate for their work within the company and also to like do the business side of things, which is it's in journalism, generally speaking, there's a very, I mean, different publications do it differently, but basically like the journalists who cover Apple should not know if like Apple is trying to advertise on your website. Like there should be what's called a firewall between sales and editorial and there has to be like some point of contact between the two because otherwise like how would things work like there just needs to be especially at a company like vice where we've done a lot of um like sponsored content and branded content which we label very clearly which i don't need to get into the specifics here but it's like we've made video series that are funded by companies that uh are not about the companies but They'll, like we did a series called Dear Future uh, that was sponsored by Microsoft that was just videos about the future. And before the YouTube video, there was like a Microsoft ad. And it's like, I'm not the salesperson who's selling that, but I was going to pitch meetings where I was like, here's why you should advertise with Motherboard because we do really important work and here's the concept and here's how it will be executed and so on and so forth. Um, that's like one thing that I do. I mean, ultimately the editor in chief is responsible for everything that's published on the site or on Twitch or on YouTube or Instagram, et cetera. And by responsible for, I don't mean that we do it. I mean that if shit hits the fan, it's our fault. Um, which is basically like, we have to implement the processes that other people on the team follow and make sure that Uh, You know, if a story is very sensitive or is likely to be like legally tricky or if, you know, it's likely to have some sort of backlash is to like anticipate what that might be and to edit with that in mind. Um, 
and to hire people who you trust and to manage what the team does, so on and so forth. Um, my job as editor in chief has been mostly that, but I've also done a lot more writing and reporting than probably most editor in chiefs, chiefs, editors in chief, because I had that writing background. So I tried to write like as much as I could. Um, and we have Emmanuel Myberg, who has been the number two guy at motherboard for as long as I've been in charge. Uh, and he is really, really good at doing all of this stuff too. So he has been, you know, doing a lot of, it's not like I do it all by myself. Um, and there's a lot of other people and there's people above me who have been really great. There's people on my level across the newsroom who are really great, but like, that's, that's basically what the job is. It's like, you're in charge of this media, this brand within a larger brand. Uh, what is the vision? Like who, what are you covering? What is the tone? Um, where are you, how are you going to use the re your resources? Which I mean that in terms of like time as a resource, it's like, are you going to spend that time doing a bunch of short articles or are you going to spend that time doing a fewer number of longer, perhaps more reported and impactful articles? Um, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, that's the job. It's different at different places, but that's, um, that's what I did basically. So I'd, I'd cut you off in the middle of your story. You heard, you were one of the most popular writers so, on the site. So Derek got promoted. There was no editor in chief. Derek got promoted. There was no editor in chief. Uh, we had a managing editor um, who was running the site, who was very good. I like him, and I saw him the other day. And I won't, I don't think I need to talk about who it was or whatever. But um, uh, there was basically no editor in chief for a while. Um, and this managing editor was running the site more or less, but was mostly just doing like the day to day, like how do we get through the day vibes versus the like bigger picture stuff that I just talked about. And that job was open for a long time. It was open for like three or four months. And after a few months I was like, huh, like they haven't hired anyone. Is anyone going to do it? And then at the same time, I would say things started getting a little bit sloppier through like no one's fault really, but there was just like a kind of power vacuum where no one was in charge. And so I was like, Hey, maybe I could do this. And I put my application in and I interviewed like a thousand times and they made me write a memo and a vision. And uh, what would you do with the staff? If you had two more hires, like what types of people would you hire? Like, what would they cover? What would they do? That sort of thing. And I got the job. Uh, and it took a very long time to get it. As in, I think it was like a four month process or something to like finally got it. Um, and then one day they were just like, okay, you're in charge now. Um <laughs> And TBH, that was kind of difficult because I had gone from being a lot of, I wasn't even an editor at the time. I was like a senior staff writer and I, people respected me and I like was friends with everyone, but it's one thing to go from just being friends with everyone to being like, Hey, I'm your boss now. You got to listen to me. Um, which I think, I think both of you would agree. I don't have a super confrontational leadership style. It's very, uh, uh, encouraging good work versus being like y'all are fucking up and have to do better. I found that that works much better. 
especially when you have very talented people like we do. Um, but I was kind of like in over my head, like right when I got started, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing at all, really. Um, and on my first day, we published a story that was bad. Um, what was it? I was in an HR training about I'll talk about it in one second, but okay. I was in an HR training <laughs> and about how to do HR stuff, like how to like approve, like when to talk to HR, basically, like if someone does this, then you have to come to us, like welcome to management True. 101, basically. It was my first day. And I finished that and then I got a call. I had saw that I had like eight missed calls. Oh no. That's always Dis- a good sign. Yeah. From Disney. Okay. And I was like, huh. Uh, this is what's uh, this about? I have so <laughs> yeah, all right. To set the to set this up, I have wondered about this basically since I started here and have never asked. And have always, I know it's not a, a pleasant story, but I've always kind of wanted to know what the hell happened? Um, so I'll just say Hall of Presidents, question mark. Is that where we're going? Yeah. So even all these years later, like I want to be careful about what I say because right. not because just because uh, just because it's a tricky situation. In yeah. any case, there we wrote an article about how Donald Trump uh was mad that his animatronic robot in Disney's hall of presidents was like not being given a long enough speech or something to this effect. I need to like find it again, but it was basically like right after Donald Trump got elected, Disney has a ride at Epcot that is called the hall of presidents. I don't even think it's a ride. It's it is like not an, a ride. Ex- it's an, experience. an experience. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you like stand there and like George Washington is like, I founded this country or something. And yeah, I'm happy to go into the history of it, but I think this is not the, the podcast for that. <laughs> in any case, they have all the presidents in there, or at least they always have the current president and Donald Trump had become the president. And we got a tip and a pitch that was like Disney is mad about what Donald Trump's speech says and they want him to tone it down because it was like too angry or something like that. Something to this effect. And we published the story and it went really viral and Trump tweeted about it. And Disney was like, this story is not true. And it was a story that I had not super like I was in, in the like you were chaos of being promoted and stuff. I wasn't like across everything in the way that I should have been. Um, I wasn't like, frankly, I wasn't really super aware of the story, um, which is not a good position to be in. And then I was in the position of trying to defend a story that I wasn't quite sure how it had been reported or anything like that. And so basically I got like extremely yelled at. um, And (laughs) uh, by Disney, you got yelled at by Disney. Dude. 
and by my boss. Yeah, for sure. Like a lot by my boss, which is fine. They were in their right to do it. It was fine. Um, it was like normal stuff. It's like, it's not even that the story was wrong. It's that it was very difficult for us to defend the story because they were saying it was wrong and we didn't have everything like nailed down in the way that we should have essentially. Um, and yeah, it's just like, it was, it was a mess and it was a very big learning experience on my first day where I was like, okay, big leagues, big deal. <laughs> President tweeting about my story big and big about like my website uh, in a, in a way that he's mad and that I, I, learned very quickly like the stakes of doing a site like this um, or doing any journalism really. And so um, that's so, pretty much all I want to say about it just because it's like, it was, it was traumatic for a lot of people on the team mm -hmm. and like, it was not, it was not like good, but also the story I believe was true um, in the end. And it's funny because I think if, it, if something like that were published now, like many years later, I don't even know that we would like bat an eye at it. Yeah. You know, I don't even know if it would register. I can't imagine quainter, quainter times. I can't imagine True. coming out of like HR training, seeing the president has tweeted about something that, that you're involved in and you have missed calls from Disney. <laughs> Wild. I also like, yeah, I got on the phone with like a Disney PR person and they just like yelled at me and I was like, I don't really know what to say to you because this yeah. is like my first day. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, I'm going to try, like, I'm trying to fix, trying to fix, don't know, need to figure it out. Thank you for um, your feedback. We are listening. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, can we, can we talk about another time someone got mad at us? Yeah, let's move on. That's let's much, on. it's, this one's much funnier. Hey there, cyber listeners. Matthew here. We are putting a pause on this conversation. Uh, there's a part two. Obviously, we're going to get to that very funny anecdote. It has to do with comment sections in a certain webcomic. Uh, if you want to hear that, come back next week. We've got a whole other hour with Jason. We deep, even we, we go even deeper into old motherboard lore. Uh, we're going to talk about comment sections. We're going to talk about uh, Shit Express and what you could buy for... $10 worth of Bitcoin and what that $10 worth of Bitcoin uh, would be worth now. And it'll be very sad. We're going to talk about a famous science fiction director getting super mad at Motherboard. We've got all sorts of other great stories and kind of Jason's final thoughts on the site and on the internet in general and what the future may hold. Uh, come back next week to get the other half of that conversation. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, and we will be back next week with the rest of Jason's words. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.